0: And I want to preach to you out of Luke chapter 22. Let's begin reading at verse number 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But, boy, I'm thankful for that. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen Thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before that thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. I want to read verse 31 once more and then we'll pray. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that He may sift you as wheat. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that You would work in our hearts this morning. Lord, I want to confess to these people that I'm incapable, I'm insufficient, Lord, but I'm thankful that You're all sufficient. And I'm asking You, through the unction and power of the Holy Ghost, to accomplish in our hearts and lives that which we need most, that which would draw us closer to You, Lord, and bring You the most glory. If there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, show them their need of Calvary, Lord, that they'd be saved before it's everlasting too late. And help us this morning to lift up your high and holy name in all that we do. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. As we read this uh, admonishment that the Lord gives to Peter, it strikes in my mind that we look at a figure named Satan, a person the Bible teaches. He is not a human being. He is a spiritual being, but he is a person. That this person has certain desires and a will for our life. Can I say to you, we always talk about the will of God. And I believe we should talk about the will of God. I believe we should seek the will of God. We should endeavor to be obedient to the will of God, but can I say to you that just as the Lord has a will for your life, that the devil also has a will and a plan and a desire for your life. Now you say, preacher, why is that important for me to understand? Well, you can never defeat the enemy until you know the enemy. Amen? You've got to understand something about Him. And you say, well, preacher, I just don't know if that's biblical. Well, let me read a few verses to you that I hope will give a bit of context. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 6.11. He said, put on the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He wrote also in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11, he said, to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes, forgave I it in the person of Christ. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of His devices. And listen to the warning that Peter gives in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Most of you have known this your whole life, but he says to be sober, to be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Could I say to you this morning that the devil is a dangerous devil? Amen. Now you say, oh, but preacher, I thought that Christ got victory on Calvary, and I'm here to say hallelujah, He did get victory on Calvary. But that does not mean that we cannot open our lives to the work of Satan in our lives, in our church lives, in our home lives, in our personal lives. Can I say that Satan has a desire to destroy us and to cause our lives to be of none effect for Jesus Christ? This admonishment, this admonition that uh, Peter is receiving from the Lord is very important because I I read in this passage and, you know, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, but I almost feel like the Lord could have said, Toby, Toby. And do you know that you could put your name in there in a sense and it would still be just as true? As you read through the Gospels, I've said often that, uh, and of course, we would never want to take Jesus Christ out of the Gospels, so don't misunderstand me, but if there was to be another central figure in the Gospels, it would have to be that of Peter. Because it seems like we know more about Peter, we hear more about Peter, we see him showing up and sticking his foot in his mouth. He had that hoof and mouth disease, amen? Some of us get afflicted with that sometimes, don't we? And uh, a good dose of the Word of God is about the only thing that can fix that. But Peter was afflicted with this from time to time. And uh, Peter is always showing up. He was part of the inner circle, as theologians call it, with James and John. Uh, He was close with our Lord and Savior. I was telling my Sunday school class this morning, as you look at the life of Peter, different disciples, as you study their lives, you find them to be a perpetual revelation of something. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, John, uh, God revealed to him perpetually, continually, that Christ was the Son of God. And if you study his life, you'll see it over and over again. Uh, the more things are said by what's not said in John's life than what is said in John's life. In fact, the only time we really find John stepping out of line in a big way, uh, they were mocking the Lord, and John and his brother James looked at the Lord and said, do you want us to pray fire down from heaven? That, that, was, that was Bible language for what we'd say, you want us whoop them? Amen? And that's, that's what he was saying. Uh, but it was his love of the Savior that he had allowed to drive him to that place. This was a man, John was, that had laid his ear on the heartbeat of God. This was the man that when others walked to the tomb, he ran to the tomb because he believed that Christ was the Son of God. Thomas, as you look at his life, it's a perpetual revelation of faith. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. You mean doubting Tom? Yeah, I mean doubting Thomas. And you say, why is that? Because you know the Lord helps us with the things we need help on. And you'll find throughout his life that that God is revealing things uh, to Thomas over and over again about faith. Every time that he pops up, it's something to do with faith. Well, when you study the life of Peter, you'll find that over and over again, God is revealing and teaching Peter some things about himself, about Peter. His whole life is one of understanding His true nature. And when we come to this passage in the book of Luke, we find ourselves at the end of the Lord's ministry. Uh, on Here on earth, anyway. I'm thankful there's a heavenly ministry, aren't you? But His ministry here on earth. And our Lord looks and gives this warning to Peter. And it reveals some things about Peter. And we could preach on Peter if we wanted to. But I want to say a few things about what this tells us about the devil. Because the Bible exhorts us to not be ignorant of his devices or of the wiles of the devil. The Bible commands us. In fact, do you know the first adjective given to the devil in all the Word of God? It says the serpent was more subtle than any beast. He's deceitful. And you know, subtleness implies a plan, doesn't it? Uh, when it's saying subtle, it's meaning deceitful. It's not meaning subtle is intactful. It's saying he had a plan. He was deceitful. And can I say he still has a plan today? He has a plan for your life. And he has a plan for my life. He's got a plan for the lives of our children and grandchildren. Satan has a plan for Walridge Baptist Church. Do you know that? And it's up to us to follow the plan of God so the plan of the devil doesn't get implemented. Now, I understand this is not something where you're going to go, wow. I don't know how many times I ever preach and you go, wow. I think one time I preached and it was only 25 minutes and everybody went, wow, you know. But uh, we find in this passage some truths that I believe will help us. I want to say a word about the plan of the devil. Now listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Three things we learn about Satan. And I want you to know, first off, that we see that Satan desired Peter personally. The Lord said, Simon. Simon sign. Now, let me tell you something. When God says your name once, that's enough. But when he says it twice, he's really trying to get you to understand something. And you'll find is through the Word of God that this double call or this uh, double name that's always given, it always denotes an emphasis for that person's life. And could I, if I was to say it in my way, it would have been like we looked at Peter and said, Simon Peter, I want you to listen up to what I'm about to tell you because this applies to you personally. We always like to think it's going to be somebody else. You know that? We always like to think it's going to be somebody else gets on drugs, somebody else that becomes a drunk. We always like things going to be somebody else whose kids go to the devil. Somebody, Hey, we always like things going to be some other church. We always like, like things going to be somebody else's friends. It's always going to be someone else until it's not someone else, until it's you. And the truth of the matter is, there ain't a single drug addict, drug addict in this world that wasn't born with a mama. Somebody say amen right there. Isn't that true? Uh, the mama may have not love and cared for him like she ought to, or the daddy may have not loved and cared for them like they ought to, but every single one of them, listen, every addict in this world, there is a broken heart attached to them somewhere. Somebody that said, it ain't going to be mine. It ain't going to be my family. It ain't going to be mine. But you know what they neglected to understand? In all that of saying it ain't going to be mine, they neglected to understand that it could be mine. It could be. I, I think sometimes we feel like it's such a blessing that God is interested in us personally, and it is, it is. But it ought to be, listen, it ought to be a sobering fact that Satan is also interested in us personally. He'll, he'll do what he can to wreck your life. He'll do what he can to use and abuse you. And you say, oh, no, preacher, I grew up in a good home. Lots of folks grew up in a good home that went to the devil. I grew up in a good church. Well, lots of people grow up in a good church, go to the devil. You say I, I had a stable raise, and Daddy wanting a drunkard, or Mama wanting a drunkard. I mean, I had a good. Hey, that don't mean anything. You go somewhere far enough back, and one in that long line of drunkards had a good Daddy and a good Mama. Isn't that right? Somewhere along the line, somebody said it'd never be mine. But the truth is, it could be yours. It could be mine. I'm not talking just about you. It could be mine. It could. I, I mean, it could be mine right there, my little one. I need to understand the danger of this, just like you do. And we look at other churches, and it's sad, you know, the shape that a lot of and I'm not here to talk bad about other churches, but but a lot of good churches that, that, that folks used to know that ain't doing nothing for Christ anymore. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of them that you would have never thought would do anything for Christ that are doing it now. So I'm not trying to be Mr. Negative, I'm just saying there's a lot of churches that said it never happened to us. But sure enough it did. You know Peter's main <laughs> Peter's main problem is he had a problem with overestimating himself and underestimating the devil. You know what he says to the Lord? He looks at the Lord he says, I'd never do that. That's what he said. Read it. Read it here in the passage with me. Look down at verse uh, number 33. And he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. You'll find as he gives this same protest uh, in the book of Mark that he says, Lord, though I die with thee, I will not deny thee. Saying, it ain't going to be me. It could never be me, Lord. It could never be me. And do you know that the book of Mark tells us that the other disciples also said that? And you know, you may meet some people that say, it's never going to be me and it won't be them. But not everybody that says, it ain't going to be me that gets out in sin. It ain't going to be me that wrecks my home. It ain't going to be me that hurts the cause of Christ. Not every one of them that says that gets away. Some of them are the very ones. And we see in this passage that Satan desires Peter personally. He desires us personally. I would say also that he desires us perpetually. It's interesting that the Lord did not say, Simon, Simon, Satan desires thee. That's not what it says. That's not what the King James Bible says. I don't know what, what anyone else, but that's not what the King James Bible says, is it? He does not say, Satan desires to have thee. He says this, Satan hath desired to have thee. You say, well, preacher, that don't make a bit. Let me show you why it's so important not to toy with the Word of God. Because if you make that present tense then it gives the implication that just in this moment and in this time, Satan had a plan for Peter's life. But you know what it implies, the fact that the Lord gives us that in the past tense? He hath desired to have thee. You know what that tells me? You see, that tells me that in the past, Satan has desired Peter. It tells me that in the present, Satan desires him, or the Lord wouldn't be giving the warning. And this passage tells me that in the future, he's going to desire him, because the Lord says, but I have prayed for thee. You see, there in that immediate moment, I don't think there was a real threat. He was there in the presence of the Savior. But the Lord says, I've prayed for you, Peter. Why? Because I'm not going to be with you much longer. It tells me He perpetually desires us. You know, this was true of the Son of God. In Luke chapter number 4, we read of the temptation of our Lord and Savior. And in that passage, you know what it says? It says that Satan comes and tempts the Lord. And at the end of it, it says, and after this, Satan departed from him, listen now, for a season, for a season. That tells me that Satan didn't even leave the Son of God alone forever. That tells me that that wasn't the only temptation, and that wasn't the last temptation either. That tells me, listen, I, I, we have a tendency to think sometimes when everything's rosy that Satan's a 100,000 miles away from our door, but could I tell you when things are going good, that's just when he's getting ready to ring the doorbell. That's just when he's getting ready. And I I was telling my Sunday school class this truth this morning. We have a tendency to think when everything's going good, hey, we're resting easy, everything's fine. I mean, everything's going well, that we're in the clear. But that's the very time that we are most susceptible to the work of Satan in our life. You know, the Bible says that we're to take heed when we think we stand, lest we fall. Not that we're to ignore that we're standing. Nothing wrong with recognizing, hey, I'm standing. I'm doing the right thing. Praise the Lord. But we need to understand that (laughs) you may be standing, but you're just a split. Some of you that are getting getting up in years, how long does it take to go from standing to, to falling? Anybody? Don't take long, does it? I mean, just in a moment, things can change. I can't tell you how many young people I've seen that man, they was, I mean, they was serving God. I, I'm going to be honest with you, as a youth pastor, when I was a youth pastor, you have hopes for every child. And and you have a love for every single kid that God gives you the watch care over. I mean, you really do. But there are certain kids that you expect more out of because of their home life, because of their raising, because of their attitude. And there are certain kids that even a youth pastor will look at and say, if any one of them is going to make it, it's going to be that one. I've seen those very kids go to the devil and go to the wolves. Those very kids that everything seemed fine, good home life, good raising, good church. But then all of a sudden, you know, you know what got them? That pride got them. Let me tell you something, pride's a wicked, wicked thing. And there ain't a one of us that's not afflicted with it. Pride is a wicked thing. You know, the Bible says, that only by pride cometh contention. I, I, I wasn't planning on preaching on this, Brother Austin, but this is I'm trying. To, I told you I'm trying to mind the Lord. Only by pride cometh. Con- now, if the Bible had said that, that by pride cometh contention, that would mean one thing, right? I mean, that's, that'd mean one thing. But it says only by pride cometh contention. That means somewhere, somewhere pride's getting the best of somebody. Any time there's a conflict, any time there's a battle, and can I say the battle is real? The battle is real. Somewhere the devil's using someone's pride. We see that Satan desired him perpetually. But I see something else in this passage. This terrifies me. I see that Satan desired him possessively. Simon Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. Hath desired to what? To have you? It's interesting, the exchange that takes place on Calvary, and I'm eternally grateful for that exchange. I was a child of the devil before I met Jesus Christ, and you were too. That's what the Bible says. You say, well, preacher, that's, that's, that's rough. No, that's just Bible. That's all that is. He said, ye are of your father the devil. That's what he told the Pharisees. And you say, well, I was religious. Yeah, but still your daddy was the devil. Nobody's more religious than the Pharisees. But he said, you're of your father, the devil. And every one of us, when we was lost and undone. Why do you think it is we had to be born again? I see these smart alecks with bumper stickers that say, born right the first time. And friend, it grieves my heart because I'll tell you this. They may think they were born right the first time, but they're going to die wrong the first time too. They're going to find out, man. They're going to step two seconds inside of eternity. And all of their pride-filled atheism is going to dissipate in the sheer horror of the judgment of God. The Bible says every knee shall bow. Every knee. That's yours. That's mine. Every knee. That's the president's. That's the congressman, congresswomen. That's local government. Hey, and I'm not just talking government. That's religious leaders. Every knee shall bow. But I see these smart alecks that they say, well, born right the first time. No, you weren't born right the first time. I wasn't born right the first time. We had to be born again. You say, why do you have to be born again? So you can get a new daddy. That's why. When you're born the second time into the family of God, now you have a heavenly Father. And we through the Holy Ghost can cry that word Abba. That means Father. It's a term of affection. But it's interesting because we did belong to the devil But the devil had no real use for us. He was happy to let us float along in our religious apathy. And then all of a sudden we get saved and the devil says, "Uh uh-oh, I've let another one slip away. And now all of a sudden he knows he can't send us to hell because the Bible teaches the eternal security of the believer that we can never lose our salvation because we didn't get it in the first place. It was given to us. You can't lose your salvation. And so now the devil, what does he desire to do? He knows he can't send us to hell. But if he can take the reins in our life and use us to destroy, he'll do it. It's a sad... Listen, Satan wants to use us to hurt the cause of Christ. That's what he did with Peter, didn't he? It's interesting what happens in Peter's life as he is denying the Lord. He denies the Lord in three ways. I wasn't even going to say this, but Brother Larry give me the okay, so I'll go ahead and say it anyway. He denies the Lord in three ways. He goes and he sits down by the fire. That was him passively denying the Lord, passively denying the Lord through silence. He sat down at that fire and he didn't say anything. There was his Lord and Savior being put on a mock trial, scourged and beaten. And he sat there warming himself by the fire. Let me tell you something, friend. Those same souls that Christ died on Calvary for are being sent to a devil's hell. And some of us are sitting by the world's fires, warming our hands. But then we see that this little maid looks at him and and says, weren't you with the Lord? I think you were. Peter says, no, I wasn't. And then... She says it again. She says, no, I think you were. He says, no, I wasn't. He purposefully denied the Lord through secrecy. He said, no, no, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. I'm not one of them. The biggest hindrance to the growth of the New Testament church is closet Christians. People that are saved by the grace of God, but ashamed to let people know about it. But then notice what he finally did. Finally, one of the people that's sitting there looks at him. And you know what he says? He says, he says, "No, you are with the Lord, because you're a Galilean, and I can hear it in the way you talk. Evidently, they had accents. By I mean, that's how it is now. You can tell people from 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 Knoxville or not. I always laugh. We get a new news anchor, and they'll get on there, and they will say uh, that there is uh, severe thunderstorms now in Maryville, and everybody from Tennessee goes, Maryville. That must be in Kentucky, Maryville. Yeah." In La Follette, like we're French. Mr. Mr. La Follette may have been French, but to us it's La Follette, friend. And, you know, it's, our speech agrees to it. It agrees to it. And he looked at Peter and said, I can tell by the way you're talking. I can tell you a around. And you know what he did? The Bible says he began to swear and to curse. And he said, I know not the man. You know what he was doing? Listen now. He didn't go out and get drunk because of his situation. So it wasn't an appeal to his inward flesh. He did not stand up and sock somebody in the mouth to keep them quiet. So it wasn't him trying to shut them up. You know what he was doing by cursing? Which had absolutely no benefit whatsoever to him, even in the flesh. You know what he was doing? He was trying to prove to them people that he wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you know what happens when we live in sin? That's us trying to prove to the world that we're just like them. We're no different. We do what they do. We look like they look. We talk like they talk. And we're trying to prove to them that we're not one of these Christians. That's what Satan will do. He'll take hold of your life and he'll try to use you to hurt the cause of Christ. We were talking a week ago about Ananias and Sapphira. You say, why is it that God struck Ananias and Sapphira dead in Acts chapter number 5? You know why I believe it is? The Bible says that they lied to the Holy Ghost. You know what they had done? They had learned how to fake it. And listen, once you've learned how to fake sincerity, it's all downhill from there. Once you've learned how to talk the talk and walk the walk but not really be living for God... There's nothing to stop you. And the Lord knew he could get no more use out of their life or out of their testimony. I'm trying to say this this morning. I don't know whether I'm saying it or not. But what I'm trying to say is if Satan can, he's going to take and use and abuse you to hurt the cause of Christ. It's us that do more damage to the cause of Christ. We say, well, this world's just so rotten. Hey, this world's just as lost as it's always been. It's the church. It's the church. It's the Christians. It's those of us that have allowed Satan to take hold of our lives and allowed ourselves to be used for his cause and for his purpose. We see in this passage, we see the plan of the devil. But I want you to notice the prayer of the, of the Savior. He says, nevertheless, he says, but, I'm, I, man, I'm thankful when God butts in on a bad situation, ain't you? But I have prayed for thee, Peter. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. When thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. I want to say a word about this prayer. I believe it was powerful prayer. You say, why do you believe it was powerful prayer? Because all the Lord's prayers were powerful prayers. In John chapter number eleven, when he prayed, the dead was raised. In Matthew chapter number 14, when he prayed, the food was abundant. Hey, in uh, the, the crucifixion, when he prayed, Father, forgive them for that. The world was forgiven. He always gets what he asks for. Always. You say, boy, it sure would be nice if I had somebody like that praying for me. You do have somebody like that praying for you. It's powerful prayer. But we see that it's personal prayer. You know what? <laughs> Oh, this always blessed me. In John chapter 17, you don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 17, you know, we all talk about the, the Lord's Prayer and, and we say the Lord's Prayer is, uh, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But that's really what, what most preachers will call the model prayer because the disciples said, teach us to pray. If you want to know what I consider to be the Lord's Prayer, you're going to have to go to John chapter number 17 because there he prays. And you know what he prays? He goes through this beautiful list. He's praying for his disciples, that the Lord would keep them from the world, that the Lord would use them, that they would be empowered. All of these things in their life. And I remember one day I was reading that. And I was thinking to myself, man, if the Lord had just prayed that for me. If he had just prayed that for me. And then I came down to verse number 20. You know what he says? He says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which believe on me through their testimony. (laughs) You know what? Oh, you know what's happened? That testimony has been passed down and passed down and passed down. And you know what the Lord did? He goes through it. This is just like God, isn't it? He goes through and He's praying for them and praying for them and praying for them. And then almost like it's incidental. When it's not incidental, it's providential. He says, I don't just pray for these, but I pray for everyone that comes to know me. You could put Toby Weber's name in John chapter 17. Put Bill Collins' name in John chapter 17. You put Charlie McGinley's name in chapter number 17 of the book of John. It's a personal prayer. He's prayed for us. But it's a promising prayer. I like this. He says, Peter, when, not if thou art converted, when thou art converted. Now, we could sit here and we could have a dispensational debate on what the Lord meant by converted. Did he mean indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Did he mean that Peter wasn't saved yet? Did he mean a part of the New Testament church? And we can say, I don't want to waste my time doing that right now. You know what I want to just simply say? You know what the Lord's saying to Peter? Peter, it's bad right now, but it's going to get better. It's going to change. When thou art converted, Peter. And, <laughs> and you know, that's what 1st and 2nd Peter are. That's him strengthening the brethren. Why do you think it was that John, who knew, who had heard the heartbeat of God, John writes about the love of God, doesn't he, in 1 John? What does Peter write about? He says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Peter knew something about this. You know why he could write that? Because he came through this trial and this storm. And by the way, Peter failed miserably. Miserably, But you know, the Lord still loved him even after he would failed miserably. I'm thankful. Listen, if you've allowed the devil to get a foothold in your life, I'm thankful that you don't have to let him get all the way in. You may say, oh, preacher, I see. I'm listening. I see what Satan's done. I see it. Could I say you don't have to stay that way? Because to this day, there's still someone praying for you. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. You say, how can I get this right? Because you've got someone on the right to help you get it right. You've got someone there listening and hearing as you pray. I want to say a final word about the pitfall of deceit. Well, we've already said it, but how did it turn out for Peter. I know if if I was writing, people say, well, you know that Bible, that's just the words of men. No, it ain't the words of men. You know why? Because uh, the words of men wouldn't have recorded such a miserable failure. If I was writing the Word of God, when I came to this passage, I would have said, and they lived happily ever after. Peter did phenomenal. Peter uh, went, went out and he whooped old Pilate and he, you know, rescued the Lord and, and uh, won 50 people to the Lord while writing it, you know, saying it. But that's not what it says. Notice two things that ensnared Peter. First off, notice his pride. I've already said a word about it, but I'll say it again. He said, Lord, I'd never do that. I'd never do that. You know, I know I know. sometimes we're very optimistic about our own personal walks. But do you know that we ought to take the Word of God at what it says about us? And I hear people say some, and I've been guilty of saying it. It's just it has embedded itself into into our, our culture and our language. And, and sometimes we'll say, if I know my own heart. Here's the problem. You don't know your own heart. You say, oh, preacher, how could I not know my own heart? Because no man can know their own heart. All we can know is the truth and power of the Word of God. You say, preacher, are you saying if you can't know your own heart that you can't know whether or not you're saved? No, that's not what I'm saying, because whether or not I'm saved is not based upon me knowing my heart. It's based upon me trusting God's Word. And the book of Jeremiah says that the heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things, and who can know it? Peter said, I'd never do that. The only problem is the Lord was saying, Peter, you are going to do this. You are going to do this. And we can sit there and say, it ain't going to be me. I'd never do that. I'd never let Satan use me. I'd never let him use me to hurt the cause of Christ or to hurt the work of God or to lead others astray or to be a bad testimony to lost folks. I'd never let him uh, use me to point people away from him. I'd never do that. But the truth of the matter is, you're just as capable as I am and both of us are just as capable, probably more capable than Peter was. We see his pride, but we see his pretense. His hypocrisy. You know, there's certain. The devil's smart. He's not wise, but he's smart. He's not spiritual, but he's cunning. And it's interesting that when Peter gives his admonition in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says that your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, listen, seeking whom he may devour. I talked about this a few weeks ago, but. You know, a lion will pursue certain kinds of prey. There are certain kinds of prey that a lion knows just aren't worth it to him. But there's certain kinds that, that a lion will try to go after. And I'm not going to go through the whole list, uh, but let's just suffice it to, to say this. A lion will always go after sick prey. And you know when you've got sin in your life, you're sick. You say, that's me. No, I'm sick when I got sin in my life. When I say sick, I don't mean uh, mentally twisted. What I mean is that you have an ailment. You have something that is harming you and corrupting you when you have sin in your life, just as I do. And we make ourselves easy, pray for the devil. Do you know sometimes a line will go after slow pray, slow pray. And if they chase after a herd, there's always that one that can't get away. Do you know when we're slow to obey the Word of God, slow to repent, slow to be obedient to the Holy Ghost, we make ourselves easy prey for the devil? We have a God of timing. Let me say that again so so it soaks. We have a God of timing. He does things in certain times and in certain seasons for certain reasons. And so, if he has done something in our life at a particular time and demanded obedience from us, if we do not obey him, we are trying to toy with the timing and plan of God. You know, Jonah finally did make his way to Nineveh, but it was by way of a whale's belly. Do you know why? Because he was slow in his obedience to God. And then, and I can't think of any, you know, I'm a tactful person. I'm all class. You know that about me. You know that about me. I'm all class, high class. But I couldn't think of any more tactful way to say this. So can I say that a lion sometimes will go after sick things and slow things. Sometimes a lion will just go after plumb stupid things. <laughs> I like watching documentaries. They, and my boy does, too. We watch them together. I don't know if he understands what he's seeing, but he's sure fascinated. And we'll watch them together. And we watch these lions. And there's always that one dumb animal in a herd. Uh, and, and you could, if you say, well, how how can I learn about this? Well, you can do one, two things. You can either watch a documentary on, on the TV or most of the time, if you catch Walmart at the right time, you'll see this same principle being employed. But there's always that one <laughs> and you can see it. There'll be, you know, uh, there'll be 40 or 50 antelope or, or uh, you know, impala or something. Not, I don't know, but something out there, something that's, that I'd eat that has horns and And you can see it, man. They'll all be feeding, you know. And then you'll see them all instantaneously go. But there's always one. (laughs) I was that kid growing up, by the way. There's always that one that when everybody else goes, they just keep munching away. And you know what happens pretty soon? That herd gets spooked. And just that split second is enough to draw the lion's attention on that one animal because it wasn't smart enough to move when there was a danger. And I'm not going to go into all of it. There's a reason Satan went after Eve. Eve wasn't around when the command was given not to eat of the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's why Adam was the federal head of the human race. So when Adam ate of the fruit, that humanity fell into depravity. So why did Satan go after Eve? She was the easy one to influence because she had a secondhand knowledge of the Word. Listen, ladies, the Bible says that we ought to learn in our homes, or that ladies ought to learn in their homes and learn of their husbands. And men, you ought to be equipped and able to teach your wives the Word of God. But listen, nobody needs a second-hand knowledge of the Word of God. Our spiritual walks are our own. And, and I understand the structure of the home, and I think that's good biblical teaching in the home, and I, I, I recommend it to you. But don't think for one moment that that means that the wife's spiritual walk with the Lord is by proxy of the husbands. Women, you need to have your own walk with God. Husbands, you're going to have your own walk with God. And those things are going to correlate with each other. But the reason that Satan went after Eve is because she wasn't around to hear it straight from the mouth of God. She had learned it from Adam. And when she learned it from Adam, she either, he either said it wrong or she heard it wrong. You say, that don't ever happen in a marriage. Oh, sure it does. <laughs> one of the two. And because she had this second-hand knowledge, that was the one Satan went after. When we're weak in the Word of God and when we're weak in obedience, listen to me, we make ourselves easy prey for the devil. And you know what, you know what uh, the Lord said to Peter? Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. When they would grow a crop of wheat, they would have to separate the wheat from the chaff. And so they would take this wheat to the threshing floor and they would stomp on it and throw it around and just beat it all to pieces. And then they would take and they would heave it. That's where the heave offering comes from in the Old Testament. They would heave it up in the air and that which was substantial would fall down and the wind would blow the chaff away. Do you know why Satan was desiring to have Peter that he may sift him his wheat? He saw some areas in Peter's life that were chaff. He understood Peter was wheat. Peter was saved, but he saw some areas in his life that he could take advantage of. We need to get the chaff out of our lives this morning. Because we may think we're playing games, but I promise you the devil's not playing games. We may think there's no risk. We may, I can't tell you how many people... Most of the things that wreck homes and families are treated as no big deal. I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, Preacher, I don't know what went wrong. I thought I raised them right. Nine times out of ten, your preacher could tell you what's wrong. But most of the time people say, Well, I don't think that's it. That ain't no big deal. Ain't no big deal. Just a little chaff. Just a little chaff. There ain't nothing to it. That couldn't be it. It seems so incidental. It's the small things. Listen. Small things may seem small to us, but to a little one, they look big. And they're a big deal, and they're growing, and they're feeding, and they're absorbing these things. Just a little chaff, that's all it was. Didn't seem like a big deal, but it was enough to draw the focus and attention of the devil on Peter's life.